Hello and welcome to the Tell People You Love Them podcast. My name is Rahul Joshi. I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Frances Stockton. She's the Vice President of Operations, Marketing, and Sales at Gallic Hawaiian, based in Napa Valley. Without further ado, let's jump into the show. Francis, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'd love to start out by you just telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're based, what your position is, and we can go from there. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, So I am Francis Stockton. I'm based in St. Helena, California, small town in the heart of the Napa Valley. My role is uh, Vice President of Operations at Gallica. Gallica is a small winery owned by winemaker Rosemary Cakebread, and I transitioned into this role uh, from Director of Sales. So I've worn a few hats under Gallica. Under Gallica. Nice. How long have you uh, been working there, and where were you before? Sure. So I started in 2019, and uh, initially I held an administrative and a marketing role, and Rosemary and I uh, have really been enjoying working together, and from that initial role, I've grown within her company, and I've sort of taken on more responsibility as I have learned enough to inhabit these new spaces. I'm really lucky. I found Gallica really organically. So I am from St. Helena. Uh, I chose to move home with great intention. So more soulful, big picture reasons drew me back. And my career path at that point wasn't linear. I had left it sort of open. And when I was seeking out employment in Napa, I was really intentional. I was super conscious about what I wanted to do. And I even to the point, you know, made a list of specific tenants that I was hoping uh, that I would find. And Gallica filled each one and exceeded. Uh, So I am just incredibly uh, lucky and benefit from serendipity. I didn't know Rosemary personally. I didn't Mm -hmm. know of Gallica, uh, but I was seeking out something stimulating, an environment where I would learn something sophisticated uh, that had that challenge uh, that really lends itself to engagement, uh, which I really require in what I'm doing, uh, but that didn't have the overwhelm and the burden um, of my previous work, uh, which led itself to burnt burn out, really. <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, I think it's worth saying that there's hundreds of wineries just in Napa Valley itself and then more in Sonoma. And you can really, you know, as someone who wants to work in the business, you have a wide range of maybe opportunity, not guaranteed jobs, but you know, to be able to find a small winery that really fits everything you want um, first, I would say it's like a big challenge because people like you seem very intentional about the way you did that. Um, but it sounds great that that Gallica as a brand is able to be like responsible, but also um, you know meet all the needs that you have you you've wanted. So you've been there for four years. I've been there for four years. Yes. And you started off as an administrative role or uh, administrative operations role. 
And now like operations, what does that mean in terms of a small winery? The best answer is Gallica is a team of three. Uh, so at the helm is Rosemary Cakebread, who's the owner and winemaker. And so she's in charge of running the business. She is doing all of the production. So she is uh, doing all of the winemaking for Gallica. She's, you know, securing the vineyard sources and she's producing all of the wines. My job really in simplest terms is to bring her work to the marketplace. So I'm in charge of all of our sales, which are uh, done through various channels and then the storytelling. Uh, so the marketing. So that's really what my position is based on. And then to support us both, we have Katie Keenan, who's in an administrative role, and she's helping us with the logistics. So how that wine actually physically reaches everyone's hands uh, is through her support. Very cool. Katie Keenan, any relation to Keenan Winery on Spring Mountain? No, it would be fun if it was. You know, it is a small yeah. community. There's many different layers of relationship, but no, no relation. Gotcha. Okay, so you said Galica is in St. Helena, which for those who don't know, is a, like in the Napa Valley, the kind of middle between where you think Napa, the city of Napa and Calistoga. Um, really small town with fantastic people, as we both know. Um, and Galica is located there. So what does Galica, Galica mean for people who are just, just think we're saying a word that they've never heard of before? Absolutely. So uh, Galica was founded by owner winemaker Rosemary Cakebread. Our first vintage was 2007. The original focus was only on Cabernet Sauvignon. So she was making one wine under her own label. And if folks have heard of her before or came to Gallica by following her work, it's usually because of her time at Spotswood. So Rosemary was the winemaker and in charge of wine growing at Spotswood uh, for about 12 years from the late 90s to the mid-2000s. And so Gallica is a small production wine label that she started and since that inaugural launch of Soli Cabernet Sauvignon, she's slowly introduced other wines she loves. Uh, so sure. we are known for organically farmed single vineyard wines. And since that original Cabernet focus, we now work with Grenache. Uh, in terms of white wine, we're working with Albarino. So it's less expected varieties uh, than you would typically anticipate from a Napa winemaker. Are most of the grapes coming from Napa itself or are we sourcing from Sonoma, Amador County, anywhere else? It's a good question. So she is a California winemaker. So the heart of her collection is grown and produced in Napa. And then she is sourcing fruit from vineyards in Sonoma Valley, uh, some of the other regions you mentioned. Uh, previously, she has worked with vineyards out in Amador. And then the Albarino, our white wine, is from a vineyard out in the Sierra foothills. 
So all of these vineyard sites are within Northern California. Some are outside of Napa. And reliably, each vintage, she does bottle a Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon from Oakville. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Is there also an estate wine? I know I visited, but are the vines like behind the tasting room? Are those cab or are they petite verdot? And are those incorporated in the wines that she's making? Absolutely. So one of my favorite parts. So when I found Gallica, I'm lucky enough to have discovered a winery in my own backyard that had a position open that really suited me. So my family is from the area. We've been here for about five generations. We have a family property on the other side of a creek uh, that nestles up to Rosemary's Estate Vineyard. So in 1990, Rosemary and her husband planted Cabernet Sauvignon. They then acquired a Petite Syrah vineyard next to their property that was planted by their neighbors Mm. in the 1950s. So our estate vineyard is two different blocks, two different varieties. And the setting is St. Helena Valley floor planted on this ancient creek bed that goes up to the creek which runs through my family's place so you're like almost literally connected to to galica which is super cool and it shows through the wine which is a similar site and setting to spotswood so her previous work from spotswood shows through in her estate wine for galica very cool So you had mentioned that your team is three people, right? And Gallica is a fairly small production compared to the rest of Napa. Um, Would you say that a two to five person team is the norm for the production that Gallica puts out? Or are you on the low side and everyone's wearing a bunch of hats? Or are you on like maybe you're on the high side and everyone else only has two people? It's a great question. I'm not sure I know the answer. I would say that I would say a lot of it has to do with your business model. So at our scale, usually you're dealing with a family-owned project where your winemaker is wearing many hats, and hopefully they have the support of maybe a partner or another family Mm -hmm. member, or there's someone who can help them facilitate all of the interactions with customers to, to sell the wine. Uh, So I would say we probably have a similar sized team for the scale. Uh, And then everyone, hopefully, is relying on the expertise of outside compliance folks and bookkeepers and people to keep everything in line. Yeah, that makes sense. So talking a little bit more about your role uh, within operations and getting the wine out to everybody. Um, can you tell us how you, you know, got so good at first, like describing wines to people, making sure they're in a comfortable environment to to enjoy the wines, to learn about them, and how you know how has your previous experience before coming to Galica influenced you in that regard? I think it's such a flattering question, and I can't say that it's something that I'm good at, but I think that I had a really lucky moment. So I am from property really close to Gallica. And the moment that I realized that these wines were an expression of place, uh, 
I was exhilarated and I was sitting at a table with Rosemary and a few of her colleagues that she'd invited and these winemakers who have all been friends and colleagues for decades opened a few wines uh, from various vintages and each one could catalog the weather from those different vintages. And it was like listening to ship captains reading, you know, a log of when the frost hit and when bud break happened and when the rains came or, or did they not come? And I just totally fell in love with it. And then to sort of taste in her estate Cabernet, this creek that I've been playing in for most of my life and the, you know, dried herbs or the plant growth that inhabits it and just sort of finding these aromatics within it drew me in in a way that I wasn't expecting. So the only thing that I could imagine that has helped me talk about wine is truly loving it, caring about it and being immersed in it. I think that that's pretty fair. It sounds like you're you know really deeply connected to Galica at many different levels, and uh, I imagine that you know it's it's tough to sell something you don't care about. I think is the point I'm trying to make. It sounds like you really care about Galica. So I'm, I'm totally. I don't think I could sell something I I didn't care about. And I think one thing that's really important to me is being a sort of megaphone for a more uh, humble spirit. So Rosemary is incredibly talented. She's very well respected. She's exceptional at what she does. Uh, She's such a, you know, wonderful human being, Uh, but she's quiet. She's humble. She's reserved. And so I think I really feel lucky to get to be the one to tell her story and to sing it a little louder. I think it's hard when it's something that's so close to you. And so I think sometimes it's easier to put that in someone else's hands. And I think I got connected uh, through serendipity and just by being willing, I think has been my main contribution (laughs) and and being yeah being new at it so I'm still excited you know I'm still in a discovery phase yeah that that makes a lot of sense Uh, jumping a little bit to to your job in itself like what are some of the more difficult things you have to do and touch on some of the most rewarding things as well you know if you've been here for four years that's a, a long time in the hospitality industry but what are the things that have you know kept you around made you want to stay and what are the What are the things that happen where you go home and you're like, God dang, this day was just too rough? It's a great question. I think that I'll start with the negatives. So I would say there aren't many. You know, if your job is to travel around and drink wine and talk about it and share it with, you know, lovely people like yourself and go to beautiful places, it's not a bad gig. You know, I, I can't, yeah. I can't lie and can't say, about much. And, and say the list of cons is short. I think the, some of the challenging parts about wine, uh, some of the simple things that are, are part of my role are red tape. So wine is a regulated product. It makes money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's taxed. It's, it has, you know, different rules depending on what state you're selling it to or which country you're selling it to. So there's a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy 
and uh, sort of regulations you have to pay attention to. So that's a headache. Yeah. It's not it's not my strong suit, uh, being that detail oriented and mindful of rules. And then uh, it is sensitive. Wine's alive and it's moody. And those are the reasons why it's so lovable, but it also makes it hard to ship. So logistically, you just have to be really aware of temperature and logistics and on it in a, in a different way. You don't if you're boxing up a football and sending it. Yeah, you know, wine's this really fragile and liquid and perishable item. So I would say those are the cons. Pros, oh my gosh, we could probably spend the rest of the time we have waxing poetic about how much I love what I do. I I genuinely am happy. You know, I love my job, which I think is a really lucky thing that a lot of people look for in life. And I'm and I'm really glad I, I found it for myself. But I I think it's really impactful to be working with this connection to the natural world. I think we're in a really precarious time. And mm-hmm. so I, I think it's been a really beautiful way to connect to seasonality and the sort of floor, like fauna and flora that surround us and then share it with people. And that yeah. is what hooked me. And so I think wine is this intersection of intellect. So winemakers are, you know, usually have a science background. So when they're in the cellar, they're having to rely on chemistry. And in the vineyard, they're, you know, paying attention to biology and geology. And then at the dinner table, you know, it's a, it's a different set of skill. You're having to translate into relatable terms what it is people are experiencing so i think i really appreciate the intellectual aspect of wine Uh, to grow wine well you're farming your hands are in the dirt you're paying attention to uh, the seasons and where you are which i really love that connection i love being outside and you know, fresh air and hard work. And then I think there's the intersection with the consumer, which is usually happening in a fun way, like sitting and having a glass of wine with someone is awesome. So I think it's just a cross section of some of the best parts of life. That's very fair. Are there any uh, memorable uh, customers or experiences that have happened to you in the last four years? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's the thing about wine is it does affect you. You know, there is a a component of alcohol. uh, But the memorable experiences, I would say, so I host people at Gallica. uh, So I've hosted Mm -hmm. you and I hope more people in your orbit come our way. uh, And I love it. And I think that forming those relationships is the part that I love the most. So I wouldn't say necessarily there's notable guests, but those that return that you get to know and you know the names of their children or their pets or you remember what they're working on or you hear about wines that they've discovered or there's a certain vintage they hadn't tried that they're going to come back to. So I really love building those relationships and getting to know folks. That's the highlight. 
experiences. I've been lucky enough to have a few. Uh, my favorite with rosemary uh, is easy. Uh, rosemary took me to London last June, and it was to celebrate a barrel that she collaborated on with three other winemakers. Uh, it was to benefit an auction. The winning bidder was our importer in London, and we went to promote it. So Rosemary Cakebread, wow. Kathy Corison, Diana Sace Snowden, and Donine Dyer each contributed Cabernet to compose one barrel of wine. Uh, so it was a really unique experience in all ways. And so just getting to see them work together, uh, create this wine, uh, which turned out to be exceptional and beautiful. And then sure. to share to share it in London, we did a series of events to promote it. And at the end, so I was just so inspired. You know, I was just listening to these talented winemakers and their stories and why they do what they do and enjoying their wines and then also the wine they'd all made together. And so it was just this really uplifting, incredible trip. And at the end, they gathered to sort of commemorate. They had just all been on a panel together and they were decompressing. And we went to Noble Rot, a really awesome place in London. And we were sitting We'd ordered a great wine. I was listening because they all have so much more to share than I do. And, <laughs> and we were all trading stories. And then the, the evening was coming to a close. And out of friendship, Diana was invited upstairs to a birthday party that was happening uh, with one of the owners. And I joined her, uh, which was lucky. And Diana and I are becoming friends as adults and reconnecting, but our families have been friends. So it was fun for us to wow. have a, a nightcap and talk about our grandmothers and their friendship and remember that she's actually named after my own mother. So it's just this beautiful sort of layering of inspiration and gathering with winemakers and then this personal friendship and we're upstairs in this beautiful little private dining room and there's not many of us and they've opened amazing wines. You know, they love wine. They've created a business around it and for their birthday, they were pulling some pretty serious corks and they opened uh, an 1894 Lafitte and shared it. And Damn. it was so cool. It was badass. And it was beautiful, and it made you wonder what life was like at that moment, and my mind was just blown. So it was yeah. just a really lucky lucky moment. And, yeah, I would say that experience was pretty remarkable. That sounds incredible. And, and one thing that, you know, if people who know wine maybe will catch what you said, but, you know, the, the people involved in this trip – are first like for, and foremost incredible winemakers in their own each in their own right but a who's who of napa valley wine and you know for women winemakers especially they are the pioneers right kathy corson is, is well known as one of the first if not the first woman winemaker 
uh, in Napa Valley and same with Rosemary. Like she's been making wine in the industry that's been male dominated for a while. And of course, Diane Snowden and her family are, uh, they have a long history as well. But that is incredible that you got to, you know, spend time and learn with them. Um, because you, I think anyone anywhere in the world in wine would love to have been in your position to, to experience that. I agree. Yeah, it was incredible. It was overwhelming. They, they're all really exceptional humans and it was incredible. It was inspiring. Yeah. I feel very lucky. I bet. Um, so one thing about the travel is that type of travel, maybe not the whole experience with Noble Rod and you know, that, that four or five layers of connection and then the 80, uh, 1894 Lafitte, but is travel common for, within the wine industry first? And then for you and Rosemary uh, and, and Katie at Gallica, and what's that experience like? Sure. So I would say the short answer is yes. Uh, one of the ways that wine has traditionally been sold that I'm aware of in Napa has been to hit the road, share the story, whether it was back in the day when Napa was still, you know, trying to put itself on the map and people were physically driving cars full of cases, or now where things have really grown up and people are flying all over the world to share wine, share its story, and be the representative. So, yes, travel is a really important aspect. Uh, it's a great benefit. I will say I think that it's been changing as people become more conscious of the footprint of that part of it. Uh, so sure. recently we were lucky enough to, there's an organization, the Napa Valley Vintners, and their annual speaker at, their, at the meeting they host to kick off the year, uh, wrote a really compelling book, and she's a climate scientist who lives in Sweden and she sat at our lunch table and she hasn't stepped foot on an airplane in 10 years. And so she was addressing this very topic to a room of captivated vintners and trying to help us become more aware of the carbon footprint of business travel and right. to look into consolidating it, sort of going to fewer cities or going longer and taking trains on, you know, certain regions that you can. Uh, mm -hmm. So that I think is changing things as people try to become more efficient and create less of an impact and larger organizations. I know folks in my position are having to track their travel and their carbon footprint, which is wonderful. So yeah. Yeah, so and it, and needless to say the pandemic forced our hand to integrate uh innovative tools so via Zoom or virtual tastings or sure. sort of ways to substitute being in person. Okay. I mean that sounds great. I mean I think it's important for everything, you know, all the reasons you mentioned and especially as people who are inherently connected to the land. I imagine that everyone, or, or rather most people, are very supportive of, like what you mentioned, the longer stays or the train travel when possible and making it more sustainable for everybody. Very cool. Yeah, super cool. I wouldn't say everyone, but I would say like-minded yeah. producers for sure. 
Fair, fair enough. Yeah, don't don't generalize everybody in that one group. And then, yes, I travel for Gallica quite a bit. So I want to go back to St. Helena because everything you've said so far, it's very easy for someone like me who doesn't experience your day-to-day life and who only gets to visit Napa uh, in the context of relaxation and fun to like romanticize living uh, in St. Helena or, or Napa Valley or Calistoga in that general area. So is that the reality? Like, is it beautiful all year round? Every person you meet is fantastic. Everyone's so connected. Is that what it's actually like for you on a day-to-day basis? Or, you know, can you help us demystify a little bit the, what I would call like the allure? I love this question because I think it's leading. I feel like you feel like there's going to be this big reveal of the horrors of Napa Valley. And yeah. spoiler alert, there there really isn't a dark underbelly. It's awesome. It really is. You know, I have to say, like everywhere, it has its drawbacks. You know, I'm not saying it's perennially perfect, uh, but it's a, it's a really beautiful place. Uh, so if there are listeners who are not familiar, uh, the Napa Valley is an hour and a half north of San Francisco, uh, so it's accessible. It's inland, so we're about an hour from the Pacific Ocean. It's framed by these two mountain ranges. Uh, historically, it was a really fertile place, so the indigenous groups, the Onisitis, who were some of the original inhabitants, really benefited from this sort of lush, fertile ground, uh, these creeks that I mentioned, and mm-hmm. the salmon and steelhead that lived within them, an abundance of sort of acorns and venison. And so it's just been this really uh, verdant landscape. And now sure. in our era of winemaking, to live here, you have these beautiful views that are different depending on whether you're valley floor or up in the hills a bit. Uh, You have what winemakers are so proud of, which are these various microclimates. So you're experiencing different weather depending on where you are within it. Uh, Community-wise, so the humans you're dealing with, uh, there is a devotion to agriculture, which forms yep. a really strong bond as community. And it's small. So St. Helena itself is a few thousand people. So you're saying, hey, in the grocery store, and then maybe you're hoping you don't run into them in the next aisle, but you do. <laughs> and so you're surrounded by people who know your, you know, for me, they know my mom or they, you know, know Rosemary or, you know, you're, you're constantly interacting with people that you know. So there's not a lot of anonymity. And sure. then it's, it's lovely. You know, it's not perfect every day. Um, but it truly is a lovely place to live. And then what you really want, like the juicy details of what it's, why you don't want to live here, uh, I would say that you're acutely aware of climate change and the struggles we're experiencing. So whether mm-hmm. the threat of wildfire, the severity of recent storms, uh, you're just the significant drought that we're enduring, you're just really in tune with the struggle and the lack of balance in our natural world. 
And there are some, there's an intensity to that and needless to say some, some real challenges. And then otherwise it's, people have really uh, desired to live here. So the cost of living is high. It's expensive. And the atmosphere to sort of encumber those land prices and that cost of doing business, uh, it fosters a more stable, corporate-minded business climate where the young sort of risk-taking you know, I'm just going to roll the dice, you know, that level of risk is, it's too expensive to be here to do it. And so I think that there's a a limit in terms of creativity within the community, because it's not that era of pioneer. It's really, yeah, it's really priced itself out of that. In most cases, there are a few exceptions, but that I would say it would be just one of the downsides of it becoming so desirable. Yeah, that's fair. Unfortunately, that happens with anything that ultimately becomes a, a luxury good. It gets harder and harder to play or be, be a new player in the market. Yes. I think that being said, like I think we can both acknowledge that there are uh, newer or younger wineries and wine families who are producing like some incredible wine and, and they've weathered the startup costs and found ways around it. And the community has allowed them in to, to work on things like that. And we know a few of those people. Definitely. Absolutely. No, that's, it's certainly possible. It just fortifies the type of spirit that's able to pull it off. Uh, so it just makes it more remarkable because there are different challenges current day than there may have been previously. But yes, those that are devoted and, and you know, have the vision and are committed to it, I think there's always a way. And every moment of time, no matter what it is you're doing, there are going to be challenges specific to you and you get tested. But if you persevere and you know it's what you're meant to do, there's always a way. There's always a way. Very fair. So you work in an industry where... Uh, you work on the weekends in some cases, and your hours may not be what traditional work hours are like. But there are some people who still, you know, want to get into the wine industry. And, you know, maybe you convince them by re-romanticizing what it is to live in Napa instead of de-romanticizing, which is my original question. <laughs> but, but how, you know, how can people find a job in Napa? And, and I know you talked about your journey you know, where you're looking for something really specific and I'm sure other people will can also get as lucky as you, but in general, you know, are people starting by trying to work in a tasting room or should they, you know, like work in, in harvest or something like that? Sure. I have two answers. Uh, there's the romantic answer and the practical one. It's probably true for all these questions, uh, but the but the romantic answer is if you're falling in love with wine. So for me, I feel like there's been occasions and moments in life that have been punctuated by wine that I remember specifically because of the wine that I was having in them. And this is before working in it. You know, there's just been those pivotal moments. So if that's happening to you and you're starting to get curious and you're starting to get called and you and you're you want to explore you know working with wine uh, the most romantic advice i can give you is if there's a napa wine 
that you're compelled by and falling for, write the producer, tell them what it is you're experiencing, tell them what it is you're falling in love with and sort of seek out a position that way. Cause I think that's just such a beautiful way to start that business relationship. The more practical advice would be uh, there's winejobs.com and all of these <laughs> operations are, are seeking out, you know, capable, engaged employees. Uh, so, you know, that's another method. And then if you're, curious about wine, but you're experiencing the barriers to entry, be it, you know, the cost is prohibitive, or, you know, the way you grew up, you weren't surrounded or immersed in it, or it's an interest, but it feels far away. Uh, There's a really cool organization, Batonage, and they are offering various scholarships and mentorships and programs that if you can't find a, another way to access information, that's a really great organization to check out. Okay. That's actually incredible advice. Like, I don't, I know you said your first answer was a romantic answer, but for anyone who wants to work for some product, uh, whether it's like a beauty product or a tech product or whatever it is, if you experience that like happiness and joy from this product, First, of course, tell the people that you think they're great, but also say, I want to make it better. Or I want to work with you. Or how, how can I be involved in it? Oh, totally. I love that. Okay. Some personal questions for you. The things that people really came here to learn. Yes. Um, I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> wait, okay, great. That's a good start. Um, but you mentioned that you you know felt really called to one and that you wanted to work in uh, in the industry. Do you have an epiphany wine that is like, I love wine because of this particular wine and I want to learn more about it. I want to try more wine. I, I've totally had many of them. Uh, so it's a great question. I would say specifically in Napa. Uh, so the Napa wine that I had that really enveloped me, uh, the producer is Philip Tony. The vineyard is up on Spring Mountain, and I've been lucky enough to meet Philip and uh, visit the vineyard site, and then I've been able to experience those wines. And they, for me, are exceptional. And when you enjoy them, you, you know that you're drinking Napa, you know that you're having Cabernet, but then more than anything, uh, you know that you're having Philip Tony from that vineyard. And that is just really exhilarating and enchanting. And I was lucky enough through friendship, you know, we share community here and at the dinner table, they shared in 1986 and it was so youthful, but ethereal and haunting. And it just gave pause during the evening So you're in the Napa Valley, you're outside, it's a nice temperature, there's, you know, almost a full moon, there's starlight, they're grilling, you know, a beautiful dinner, but the wine just sort of took command and enraptured you and just it's, it was alive, but delicate and had age, but that spine that's strictly Cabernet and 
and the site spoke through. And so I would say that is just one of those things that not only did it make me remember that evening in close friendship, you know, at that specific place, but also the vineyard and the vintage. And yeah, so that was a great wine. Wow. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds excellent. That's all I can say. <laughs> my, my, one of my epiphany wines, I had two epiphany wines. One of them uh, is also a Philip Tony. It is a, but not with quite so much age. It's the 2014 vintage. And I think I had it in a lineup of like 12 or 14 other Napa cabs. And it just stood head and, you know, head and shoulders above the rest. Like compared to everything from, you know, Quintessa to Rubicon to like, you know, some of the great halls, like the Catherine and I can still remember that wine. So that's cool. that it's yours as well. I, that's so cool. I definitely know what you Yeah. And it's what an incredible wine. Um, okay. Moving on. Uh, maybe something that uh, kind of stems from that question. What is your favorite style of wine? Is it Napa St. Helena Cab? Is it something more general than that? Totally more general. I don't have a favorite style of wine, but I would say what m made me fall in love with wine and why I'm still falling in love with it is I find it to be an honest expression of place. Uh, so it really shows you where it came from and who uh, had a hand in making it and their choices. So my favorite okay. style of wine are wines that speak of place. Very cool. That's, I think, a unique answer. Most people that I talk to, even like outside of these conversations, will say full-bodied reds, North America, you know. And But I think that's a really, really unique answer, and it, it gives you many avenues to explore which is even oh, better because that's what we all love right trying more wine i think so okay what is a wine region that you love that you feel is really underrated or people don't talk about enough i don't know if it's underrated or if it was just new to my radar so for me i uh was introduced to wines from the french alps uh, to this region I didn't know a lot about. And it's near the Italian border. And the region itself is just the high Alps in English. I'm not going to say it in French and embarrass myself. And, yeah, <laughs> and I love, you know, those, those Alpine whites, I just thought they're really beautiful and enticing. And I just totally yeah. fell for them. Uh, so that is something that I recently sort of started exploring. Yeah, I'm happy to call that underrated. I don't think most people who drink wine on a regular basis would uh, say that they're drinking wine from the French-Italian Alps. So I will, I'll call that underrated. Um, do you have any bucket list wines or regions that you, or bucket list regions, I should say, that you want to visit? Totally. Uh, many, but I would say bucket list wine is going to be 1969 Chapelet. So I'm going to go Napa yeah. on my bucket list, uh, which is a unicorn. Apparently it's one of the greatest wines that the Napa Valley has ever produced. And it was made by Philip Tony. 
who is a legend and uh that would be just a a really bucket list experience and then regions i'd love to go to the one i just mentioned uh so savoie and french alps and eat alpine cheeses and drink these white wines and look at mountains and live the life that's that's definitely a dream yeah i that's a, that's certainly a dream add in the wine add in like a little bit of a farm nice crisp mm-hmm. air sounds perfect a couple woolly sheep yeah and you can <laughs> go there and, and you know, maybe milk the cow that produced the, the cheese that you're eating exactly all in on the <laughs> um okay so we talked about uh, a region in napa that is you know, there's a wide range of wines, but a lot of wines come out of Napa because of the land cost and the cost of productions and a couple other factors. Uh, they're they're pricey, like they're you know more than eight or hundred dollars a bottle, depending on you know the producer and where you're going. And they all go up to seven, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars a bottle, depending on the label and and many many different things we won't get into that but so what are some good options uh, for people who maybe don't want to spend more than $70 on a on a wine that comes from Napa or St. Helena It's a great question and I would say for me the answer is newfound so you had Audra on your show so she is uh one of the founders of Newfound and they're producing Grenache uh from Napa under their label and they have a beautiful tasting room in St. Helena and they're just awesome, authentic people and they're talented and it'd be a really fun experience. So I I would seek them out if you're looking for a Napa wine in the sort of parameters you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I would say there's definitely uh, Gallico wines also that are within that price point, right? That aren't. Oh, totally. I was trying to plug someone else, but yes. So absolutely plug Gallica too. So what, what you should do is come to St. Helena, hang out with me, uh, have Gallica Grenache, which is under that $70 mark. Our Grenache is coming from a vineyard in Sonoma. So you'd be tasting it in Napa, but the, the vineyards over in Sonoma, and then we'll pass you off to our friends down the road at Newfound. That's a pretty good day. It is. On, on the way, you stop day. and have lunch at Farmstead. And that's a, that's a fantastic day in Napa. And fall in love with Napa and then hope that there's a dark underbelly. And, <laughs> and realize that it's just perfect. Um, fantastic. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time today, and I, I appreciate that. Um, and I want to wrap up with just a few very simple questions uh the first one is where can we find galica online social media what's your website how do we like connect with you thanks for asking galica has uh a website our url is galica g-a-l-l-i-c-a wine.com we are on social media we are on instagram and our handle is the same as our website Nice. Gallica wine. Fantastic. Um, how can people contact you to either purchase wine or if they're in town, set up a tasting? What's the best way? Email, go on the website, DM you on Instagram. All, all of the, all of the above. Uh, we do have a really savvy new tool on our website. So we have a calendar. You can book 
right from the visit page on our website. So that's the most efficient. And then in terms of purchasing, we release as wines are ready. If you catch us in between releases, reach out. We're a small team. We'll take care of you. Uh, our mailing list is important to sign up for so you don't miss a release. And then otherwise, sure, DM, cold call. Uh, whatever, I will, whatever works. Yeah, whatever, whatever you remember to do, we will, we will take care of you. Cool. Uh, last thing, for those who are unable to get to Napa uh, anytime soon, and I'm sure they'll all sign up for the mailing list, uh, what is the, like, is there any retail distribution where people can go find the wine in stores? And if there isn't, I'll absolutely edit this out. But depending on where you live, we do, we do distribute domestically. We are in a handful of states. Uh, so... There isn't a short answer. It really depends on where people live, but you're more than welcome to drop us a line. Let us know where you are and we can provide some local options for you to find us. Okay. That sounds good. So like maybe a total wine or a Benny's depending on where you are, but the best thing is just like email and figure it out that way. For Chicagoans, uh, we are at Benny's. Uh, we try to steer away from the larger stores. We don't have the volume sure. of production to warrant it. Uh, so usually it's going to be independent fine wine retailers, a handful of restaurants, and then in your area, head to Binnie's. Perfect. That's uh, easy access to Galica Wines, which is always nice to have. It is. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I don't want to take up any more of your time today. You are so welcome. Thank you for your time, and thank you for listening.